You're listening to the Real Estate Entrepreneur Podcast with Terrence Murphy, where we cover sales, investing, and entrepreneurship with an emphasis on real estate. Each podcast, Terrence and his guests will bring you informative and inspiring information within the real estate industry. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. I start off with a quote, and this one's short. It says, resources needed to accomplish the plan must be allocated. These resources are money, time, and people. So you're not going to scale without money, time, and people and process. So as we jump into this show, I have a guest today. He was just telling me he's in the Caribbean. Marshall Wilkinson was featured in the Business Insider, Yahoo Finance, Fox News, and Fox Business. Marshall's company has dominated the NYC construction scene, and he has closed and negotiated more than $2.5 billion in contracts and sales. Marshall is also a sales and negotiation expert and coach. Welcome to the show today. Thank you, man. Great to be here. Yeah, man. I, tell me your story. I mean, we're going to really dive into negotiation. We're going to dive into how to set up and make sure that's, you know, your strategy involved. Because some people think negotiation is just you're receiving it versus setting it up. And I, I, I've always seen it as a, as a chess play, right? It's like playing poker or cards or whatever. So I'm excited to talk about that. But tell me your story, man. Just give me a snippet on who you are, how you got into real estate and how you became you know, involved as a real estate entrepreneur. Sure, man. Absolutely. Great question. So uh, my name is Marshall Wilkinson. And uh, I've done over $2.5 billion in deals in New York. I got into real estate. My family business is contracting, construction development. So I got into real estate kind of as it being a cousin to the main business. And our main business was us being developers and contractors. And my first foray into real estate was was multifamily right from the jump. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got into it simply because as an owner in a construction company, uh, at the end of the year, we had tax considerations. Instead of taking owner distributions, while well, we took that money, we we put it in real estate deals, and we did that over and over and over again for about a decade. And uh, so it's funny as we're on a real estate entrepreneur show, and I I have a lot of real estate. I'm actually a construction and development guy that kind of just got into real estate because he had some money that he didn't want to pay Uncle Sam, <laughs> <laughs> which is usually how it works. That's how it works. Yep. So, so from there, that's that's how I got into it. Then I started a private equity firm, and we've been uh, buying multifamily and and uh, and riding this wave. Sweet man. Yeah, I think it's a quote. Ninety. What is it? Ninety-two percent of most of the millionaires, you know, made their wealth through real estate. So you know, like you said, and that's one of the things I'm always trying to teach people on this podcast. And it was a simple notion that I learned years ago when I read Robert Kiyosaki's book: is we have to have a career, and then our money has to have a career. You know, and you had your career in construction and development, but your money's career became real estate, right? Multifamily and acquisitions and things of that sort. So let's talk about that. What was your what was your first deal? Your first development deal or first multifamily deal? Walk me through how you kind of taught yourself or structured it, uh, you know, because I always like to glean some wisdom from that early on in your career. Yeah, well, I was very fortunate. That the first deal that I ever was in was almost 100 units. And, uh, and it was because I followed the lead of some of the owners in, uh, in our firm. I followed their lead. They kind of let me into the group, so to speak, once I became an equity holder. So I had some money coming to me. I had a couple million dollars coming to me already. And so you know, these guys were already buying multifamily. The company was creating LLCs and purchasing multifamily. And so as I kind of entered the group as an equity holder, they kind of opened a kimono and let me, let me in on the deal. So my first deal was in South Carolina for, you know, I think I think it was just under 100 units. So my first deal I was already in a couple million and I was already playing in the NFL so to speak. <laughs> yeah, you jump right and to it. 
I jumped right into it, man. I, I totally, I, I skipped it. You, you have to understand before that, all I really did was, was just construction. So I go, I, I was a, a very good salesperson negotiator, mm-hmm. negotiated great deals. We made a lot of money as a contractor. And that was my life as a contractor builder fighting with the city of New York on large municipal projects. And then once I became an owner, then that's when I had some, when I had some dough. And yeah. Once we had some dough, then that's when I got into the game. And I was fortunate enough to get into the game at a higher level. I didn't start off with single family homes. I went right, right to the league. That's awesome, bro. Congrats. The structure is very simple. I mean, it was, it was essentially a GP structure yep. and we were LPs. Mm-hmm. And I've just done that and continued that since then. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I don't make it complex and sophisticated at all unless I have to take on foreign money. Then I have to bring it in and I have to create a blocker and all, all that other kind of stuff. I don't know how familiar you are with that, but yeah, very familiar. It's a very simple process. Yeah, I have clients in Dubai and in Colombia and things of that sort. But my, for my audience, though, like if I'm setting up my first syndication deal, right? Yep. What is a GP? What is an LP? What's the structure? If we're just kind of walking it through, like, here, here are the five steps you need to set up. Here's, here's kind of some pitfalls that you need to keep an eye on when you're setting up your first syndication deal. Sure. That's a great question. So uh, for your audience, a GP is a general partner, LP is a limited partner. So a general partner is the partnership is, is the company that actually does the transaction. And that company is made up of limited partners. Those limited partners are the investors in the company. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you though, I, what I believe is the biggest pitfall that guys who are looking to syndicate deals fall into is I think that they look for the deal first. Mm. And I, I do it the other way. I get the money first and find the deal. Wow. So I think the most important thing is making sure that you can secure the money because I guarantee you, man, if you can get the money, you will be able, if you're committed enough, to be able to find the deal. Most guys do it the other way around because the hardest thing for them is to find a deal. You've heard this common conventional wisdom in real estate that if you have a great deal, the money will follow. Mm-hmm. That's just not true in my life. I've never, I never had like, hey, I had the greatest deal and all of a sudden money came and fell out of, my, out of heaven onto my lap. <laughs> No matter, no matter how great my deal was, I still had to make a pitch mm-hmm. and I still had to talk to a guy with money and make it compelling and, and, and convince him to say yes. So I, I look at it the other way. Let's tee up as many family offices and investors as we can. Let's figure out exactly what kind of deal checks all the boxes for them. And then based on that, the, based on the guys who are ready to stroke a check, then we go into the market they're looking for. And then it's my job to kind of shake shake the tree to see what I can get out of it. Mm-hmm. And most of the time that looks like off-market deals. Yep. And, and that's really what I specialize in, uh, off-market deals and basically getting creative in the art of the deal in order to kind of backfeed the commitments that I was kind of just making with investors, if that makes sense. No, that's good. So Marshall, when you kind of set up the family offices, set up these high net worth individuals, these accredited investors, you know, they have yes. different titles, right? Do you just get verbal commitments? Do you have them, you know, hey, we're going to go ahead and cut you a check that you hold in, a, in an escrow account? Kind of walk me through that just generically, obviously, but. Yeah, sure. No problem. So what I, what I do in the beginning, in the beginning at Saxon, when we started syndicating, I would, I'd get a verbal commitment from these investors that they would at least look at my deals. Yep. I'm calling them in, open up a line of communication and let you guys know what we do, what markets we're, we're, we're looking at, and here are the deals that we're going after. So we go after diamond properties. I'm not looking to you know, create the Yankees. I'm looking to buy the Yankees. Mm. I, I, you know, my, my assets are the Dallas Cowboys. I want, I want something that has been demonstrably over a period of time cash flowing. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to upset that Apple cart. 
So that's a really attractive uh, offer to conservative investors. However, how can you get a guy who has a goose that keeps laying a golden egg to, to give sell. it to you? <laughs> exactly. Yep. So that's where the creativity in the deal comes. And I'd much rather be in that position where I'm talking to as many owners as I can that have great assets to see how I could work a creative deal where I could then get a piece of this thing and bring in my investors rather than get a deal and then go to my all my investors and this is a dog with fleas. <laughs> a fixer-upper or something that you're trying yeah, to- fixer-upper. Yeah. So, 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 that's the, so that would be step one. So to answer your question about you know, the funds and everything, mm-hmm. I'd first get them to, to at least answer my call. Yeah. And then based on that, then I'd go out and I'd, I'd get a deal. And I'd, put an OM, I'd underwrite the deal I put an OM together and then that's when I make my pitch and I, and I do my thing. Mm-hmm. If they're interested and want to be a part of the deal, they will sign a contract and in the contract, we'll have a date of funds. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That, that it will be the date that the money has to be wired. For and sure. if, it, if that, if that doesn't occur, there will be a penalty. Yep. And that's how I, and, and that is how I, you know, solidify the investor dollars no, that I, I know it. that on this day, I'm going to get it. I love it. I love it. Cause you're going in, like you said, with a bird in hand. Right. And then, um, yes. You know, you can be more aggressive on certain deals because you already got the backing. Bingo. Yeah. That's the point. So I, I just feel like I have altitude going into these deals, knowing that I have firepower. Mm-hmm. So as long as I have firepower and my investors know what I'm doing, you know, th- this is all transparent. This is an open book. I let these guys know, listen, now that I have an open line of communication with you, and now I know exactly what you you guys are looking to buy and you trust me, I'm going to go out and I'm going to bird dog deals and bring them back home. Mm-hmm. Okay, so even on certain deals, like there was a deal that we had to do in Middletown, Connecticut, and uh, that's a fifty million dollar deal. It's like two hundred and two hundred plus units, mm-hmm. and uh, that deal was fifty million. There's no way that thing was worth fifty million. It's a forty three million dollar deal all day, every day. Mm-hmm. Okay, but my investors knew that in order for us to get the goose that lays the golden egg here, fifty was the number. Mm-hmm. But we didn't actually want to pay fifty. So we had the owner come back and be a debt partner. Mm. So I made the owner look like a star. He could pay off all his investors, but at closing, he writes me a check for seven million. So the purchase price is really forty-three, our actual actualized purchase price. And he's uh, and we had an agreement with him where he was a debt partner. We paid him, and he still had the upside potential of this thing. Wow! So then after we paid off his debt, he converted to equity, and he still had the deal. Wow! So it's the only way. It's the only way I could get him to shake this thing and to give it to us. Yeah. So I, cause I come from, uh, I come from a background of negotiating. I use that strength that I have in order to get really great diamond properties, triple A deals that I could go and backfill with investor money. And I think that's my value add to family offices and other investors out there. That's what makes me different than the other guys. Bro. I love it, man. I got to make sure we got enough time. We're finna dig into this. This is awesome. Yeah, sure. So okay. When you talk about like those crown jewel type properties, because that's what I'm buying too. You know, we just did a deal in Orlando that was right at 200 units. It was 44 million. Smart. You know, and that's it, the play in my opinion. Who wants the headache of a value add? And this is coming from a contractor. Literally, same here. Yeah, okay. yeah. I've been a contractor for 14 years. We got a lot in common okay. too. Yeah. So when you say class A or crown jewel or these triple A, because I say the same thing, bro. I've never heard somebody say triple A towards multifamily, you hear it around commercial, but not multifamily. So I think that's pretty yeah. cool. Cause I'm okay. even, even when I do commercial, I'm triple A rated tenants It's Starbucks, Chipotle, Buffalo Wild Wings type, you know, companies. But uh, yes. when you say triple A for multifamily, walk me through, is it a certain amount of units? Is it a certain location? Is it certain, you know, demographics? Is it, you know, household income? Kind of walk me through your one pager 
for a class yeah. A for a class A for a class A. Yeah, it's all of the above. Mm-hmm. So it, it so location is huge. The demographic and uh, and the renter makeup is also huge, and the support services around it are big for me. Mm-hmm. So like I, I I'm the type of guy that would love to follow around a Whole Foods and a Starbucks. Yep. I mean, they have the best teams in the world. These guys have all the information and data that you could ever get your hands on. They make the best decisions when it comes to real estate. They do. And so, uh, why, you know, why would I reinvent the wheel? Correct. So, you know, I feel like, um, you know, Bezos is a little bit smarter than me in certain things. And if that's the, his team is going narrow, I want to check out. I want to sniff out what he's doing. Yeah, for sure. Also, don't forget also, in my opinion, aesthetics. Mm-hmm. You know, as a contractor, I can walk a property and I can and I can I could smell the bones on it if this is a, if this was done right or not. Mm-hmm. If this is cheap or if this is a really a, a well constructed building or or buildings or campus, so to speak, and it looks nice, then I'll call that class A. Mm-hmm. So so you know, it's really it, it, you know, it's funny that you asked that question. I'm kind of the determiner whether what what class it is or not. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna say it's I'm gonna say this is a class A diamond if I think it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to make a compelling argument to why I think it is, right? Yeah. But I mean, typically a, a class A on face value is easy to identify. It's a diamond property. It's new. It's not worn in. It's aesthetically nice. It's in a great area. And the renter base are, you know, doctors, lawyers, and nurses. There it is. Yeah. You know, those are going to be your people, like, especially that deal in Middletown. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. And I was going to say, is there a certain amount of units and price point you like to stay in in these class A diamond properties? Is it like, hey, 25 to 50 million, 150 units to 250? What's that kind of criteria that you like to look for? And then what's the cap rate that you like to be at? Exactly. So uh, I would say 100 units or greater, that would be ideal, mm-hmm. but uh, definitely nothing less than 50 and a five to six cap. Yep. Yep. That's strong. And like you said, you got to get so um, creative. So let's talk deal flow. Because sure. I, I want to save the crown jewel of the conversation to the end. I want to talk about the negotiations at the end. I want to I want to drag sure. it out before we get to that point because I know it's no a problem, lot, lot of, it's a lot of good info there. But on your deal flow, like you said, off markets, do you start postcarding? Do you pull a list and have a you know an ISA team start calling people? How do you create deal flow without obviously giving out anything proprietary? But how do you create deal flow for these multifamily off off market projects? Well, oh, great question. I absolutely will open the kimono. I have no problem because I don't think anybody's going to do what we do. There you and go. You got to do it at the level that we do it at. Mm-hmm. I, I have CoStar. I find an area and it's a, it's a full on assault on the phones. Starts on the phones and emails. If we have to show up, we will. If I got to write letters, we will. I identify a property that I want and then I'm on it like a hornet. Mm. That's what we do. I have a team of guys on the phones making those calls, jostling for position, seeing if we could get somebody to, to, to bite. And if they if they do bite, then I'm willing to go to distance with them and see if the deal makes sense. And uh, obviously, if it makes my shortlist, then it checks all the boxes for my investors. No, I love it. I love it. And That's the most important thing mm-hmm. that it checks the boxes for the money. Yep. If the money is right, and this is what these guys want, then I'm going to do everything in my power to see how I can get that deal done. And I, I will tell you, and for all the listeners, owners are more malleable than you think, especially if they can get a payday. If they can pay out investors and then still come back in the deal to get the upside. I mean, that is the, that right there, what I gave you, that is the game. That is it. That's it. If I can make it appealing where he can cash a check, pay his investors, get his investors kind of out of his life, so to speak, that they're happy that they got their money back and they were receiving cash flow the whole time. So he's a king. Mm -hmm. And then he gets back in my deal, gets paid 
probably I'll make them as a debt deal. Like I, like I explained in Middletown, that's like one of my, my main moves. Convert them into equity and then he gets a part of the deal and he still continues to, to have the upside potential. And I, I have no problem doing that and diminishing my equity ownership in order to facilitate that to make my investors happy because I want to keep going back at that trough. Man, I love it. Wow. So we were, we were doing that in Texas with a lot of the ranch owners where we would buy the ranch and then we fill out, figure out a way to make a limited partnership, keep them in the deal from an equity standpoint, and then go and develop it into a master plan neighborhood. So you're doing the same thing with a, with a different twist in the multifamily space. I love it, man. Yeah, I, man. I love it. So when you think about an investor, so let's say you and I are talking, I'm a hot net worth individual, and you're telling me about a deal. When you talk about your track record, right? Because you have an amazing track record with multifamily private equity. With the current market, this where it's at, you know, is it a, hey, Terrence, you know, right now we're projecting, we're looking at this thing, a three to five year hold, uh, 18% re- internal rate of return. Kind of what are those little bullet points and those sticking points or those checkpoints is probably a better word that you like to be at if you're going to, now that we've got past the aesthetics, it's class A, the location is there, the cap rate now, and now what, what are you thinking hold time, you know, cash transaction? What does that look like? Well, on these deals, at least a five-year hold. Yep. No question about that. At least a five-year hold, 6% cash on cash pref, and then obviously a waterfall after that based on how well we could run the asset. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're looking over an ROI over a period of time, that's that's going to vary. But I think you're, you're, it's funny. We're talking the same language. You're right in there. Over over ten years, you you said eighteen percent. Yep. Is that what you said? Yes, sir. Yeah, right there. Yep. Yeah, right there. It's interesting, you know. You know, when you when you do underwriting, calculating that over when you calculate that curve in your OM, the rate of return, it's very difficult. It's tough. It is. You go. Everyone says that, you know, in this world about eighteen. But have you experienced that on that Orlando deal? We're we're north of eighteen, but man, Think about it. yeah, it's tough though because you are okay. Yeah, that's good. Yo, it's tough. Like just in the last. Four months, brother. I wrote 16 offers on assets that are 25 to 60 million. And it's been, each one of them have had like multiple offers. I've made best and final like four of them. And we only got one asset. It's just, it's so competitive right now. Like you said, you got to get off market deals. And these are all, these are all on market, what you're talking about, right? On market are, you know how a lot of these brokers, cause I'm a real estate broker. They bring it to you right before they go to market. And then it ends up being a shit show. Forgive my language. It's 18 offers on it. But yeah, 100%. I don't want to compete with those guys, man. Yep. They all know each other. They're all in a game that I felt like I was coming late to the game. I almost feel like they don't like me. Be- I'll just be honest. I feel like that, like that, the world that we run in, we all kind of know each other. Yep. And I just feel like they don't like me. I'm coming from a construction background. I'm a New York straight shooting guy. I know that's how I am. I do. I retrade on deals. I'm a highly aggressive and I just feel like I am not, I'm going to lose. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't want to play that game and I don't want to pay Marcus Millichat. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't want to deal with that. So yeah. I want to I go, let me go out and hunt and I will get the deal and let me bring it back to my people. And so my investors love me because they have a dog Yep. and I'm the dog. Send me out. I will bring the deal back. I promise you, just give me some time bro. and we're going to have a great deal. We got a lot so, income. So I, I can't <laughs> buy properties like Cardone and these guys are just buying. I mean, every day that guy's buying something, he's killing it. Yeah. That that won't be me. So my my acquisition rate will be smaller, no doubt. But my my portfolio is a, it dominates. Yeah, it's, it's top notch. Yeah, yeah, man, I love it, bro. So let's get to the crown jewel of the conversation, then, right? So now that now that we found these deals, right? You got the ISA team. You bird dogged it. 
Yeah, like you said, yep. you're a dog. I'm, I always say I'm a wolf, man. I'm going to figure out a way. You know, I say drop me off in the desert. I'll figure out my way to the water every time. Beautiful. So once you get these sellers on the phone, because like you said, if they respond and they nibble on it, let's talk about negotiation. You've been an expert and a coach. If you were going to coach me, you got a thing called ALP. Let's talk through that and then let's just dive into that conversation. Sure. So ALP is a method that I developed. So I've been coaching salespeople and entrepreneurs, real estate agents, realtors, and, and really anybody in the sales world for probably about three or four years now. And the only reason why that has happened is because I've, I've started to show my life and everything on social media and I would go live while I would actually negotiate and do deals. Make sure I'm following so that's how. That's how I grew my uh, my social media following. I'm like the anti coach coach. I'm like <laughs> the guy calling everybody who says they to the mat. You show me that you really are that guy. That you've done it out here in the real world where it matters. I'm like I'm like a rapper calling everybody out. <laughs> uh, it's it's true. I'm that that's like my personality because I have I got two and a half billion in deals verified. Yes, you know before before I ever got in front of a, a an Instagram thing. Yep. I kind of opened a kimono and I had people come in and I start coaching them. And I, and one of the things is, is I, I, I have to figure out how to name this thing that I do, my, my angle of attack on how I close deals and negotiate. And so, you know, I, I figured I put it together, the three silos, basically the three main points of what I'm constantly thinking about while I'm putting deals together, I'm trying to convince somebody to say yes, right, is altitude, logic, and pressure. So I named my method the ALP method, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and so altitude is just that it's 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 coming into a deal as an expert. You have to know your stuff. You cannot fake the funk. Mm-hmm. People will smell that very quickly. So if you don't know, go to YouTube University, man. Figure it out. Like you, you know, I, I feel like if you want to be at the at the top of your game and be a top producer, there is no way around of actually knowing your stuff. Yep. So that's altitude. And it's obviously building self-confidence and self-esteem is also going to give you altitude. And without altitude, you cannot get the deal done, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because no one will believe that you are the person that will fulfill the response of the obligations and promises you're making to the other party if you don't, if you don't have altitude. So uh, that's the number one thing is altitude. The next thing is logic. And all of my in, in negotiation and in closing and all the word tracks and strategies that you use, it, you know, in a deal, it, it has to be logic based. Logic does all the convincing for you. It's self evident. Remember this: the more you justify something, the le- the lower your altitude becomes. Mm. Like like my dad would tell me, "Hey, you know, we're contractors." He'd say, "Hey, clean this up, man. Put the tools in the truck." And there was no conversation. He never justified it. Listen, the reason why more is I need you to do something good. No, do it, right? And yeah. he had the altitude. So the more you justify something, the less your altitude, mm. right? So if you're not using logic to make your points, because logic does all the explaining for you, man. Let me give you an example. I, I deal with uh, realtors all the time and somebody will say, oh, well, I already have a realtor. And then a realtor would just break down. They don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I always tell them, listen, let me ask you a question, man. What's better, one wheel or two wheels? You don't have to say anything else. He knows what you mean. The logic convinces him. He's like, oh, shit, you know, that kind of makes sense here. What are you saying here? <laughs> listen, dude, you got one realtor. Why don't you get 20, bro? Yeah. Why don't you get every realtor in here? And why don't you get a 100% full video of the marketplace? Why are you sticking with one, man? Yep. All right. So that's logic. I don't have to do any convincing. I'm not lowering my altitude. So logic heavy and then pressure. 
Pressure makes diamonds, dude. Pressure is not a bad word. Mm-hmm. Anytime I've ever done anything great, it's been under duress. Mm. I mean, you know, man, you're a stud. Yeah. So, you know, working out to, to get strong, you got to put pressure on those muscles, man. To get somebody to do a deal, I've never been in a position where it was just comfortable and okay. I always had to put the pressure on somebody, man. And when I say pressure, I mean, I mean it with dignity, professional. I don't mean insulting a guy and like, you know, berating him. I mean, asking him to do the thing. Wow. Hey, listen, man, if it was the right thing to do, would you pull the trigger and do it? Of course you would. So yeah. why are you adding time to this one? Like putting the pressure on the guy. And I'm really good at that. And so that's my method, altitude, logic, and pressure. You put those together, dude, you'll be a superstar. Love it. Yeah. And like you said, some of my best real estate deals, I put the pressure on them and, and the pressure on me, you know? Yeah. And so it's like- that, Definitely, man. Yeah. Lead from the front. Don't yeah. pressure people if you're not going to get pressured, man. For sure. No, I love If you it. don't put pressure on yourself, then you'd be a hypocrite, man. You won't be a great leader at all. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. That's big, bro. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, I got a couple questions, man. I want to dive into some of these, if you don't mind. We call this no, the, no. we call this the coming in hot section, and you got to answer them. We've been doing like a forty time, like we're racing. So I'm telling you up front because my my last couple of guests they were like, you didn't tell me it was gonna be a race. Oh, so, bring it on, man. Yep. Hey, right, can bro. I just say one thing now before we start this thing? Yep. Is it okay? Go for it, Marshall. Because you asked me about negotiating, and I just wanted to say for the people, for the benefit of everybody listening to this. Just take it from me as a guy who's been negotiating for, since I came out of the womb, I've been listening to negotiations from my, from my, from my dad in the family business. I will tell you that in a negotiation, there's a winner and there is a loser. There's one guy who got what he wanted and there's another party that thought it was a fair deal. Mm. So I want everybody to understand that when you guys go into a negotiation, please be prepared, have an outcome. Negotiation is not something that should be taken lightly and it is not something you should do ad hoc and on a whim. Okay. So like I, the way I view negotiation is very, very much how a fighter views another fighter. I set traps and I bait the other side. So when they take the, they take the bait and they fall into the trap, I hit them with a crushing and devastating counter. Mm-hmm. And you, and, and that may sound like maybe not PC, but at the end of the day, you know, you need to get what you need to get out of a deal for your family and for your business. And negotiation is a no holds barred thing. And don't, you know, since we're running out of time, we're going to do this lightning round thing. Don't take that lightly. That's I just wanted to, let, I wanted to say that. Man, we got a lot in coming, bro. This can't be the last time we talk for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. My pleasure. Because I say the same thing when I'm coaching agents and, and, and people that are on my organization. Like, you have to compete. Even when we were in practice, you compete with yourself first. Then you compete with your teammates. And then you obviously get to play the game and compete against other people. But it's a competition. It doesn't mean you hate that person. It doesn't mean you're trying to hurt them. You're just trying to win. That's right. Point blank and simple. And I think some of the greats like Kobe and guys who had that mentality, see, people couldn't wrap their mind around Kobe. They thought he was an extremist, but there was a reason why he wanted to win. And you carry that same energy, bro. You got that same spirit. I love it. That's it. So coming in hot, man, I'm going to throw five questions at you. I'm going to start the clock right when I ask the first question. You're going to answer it one word or one sentence. You ready, brother? You got it. All right, so do you have a college degree or no college degree? I have one. Okay. What's your greatest challenge as a child? ADD. All right. What was your first attempt at entrepreneurship? Uh, shoveling driveways. <laughs> Love it. What was the worst real estate or entrepreneurial advice you've ever received? Oh, my God. That you need to save money. Yep. And who is the uh, one person who made the biggest impact on your career? My dad, by far. There it is. 34 seconds, bro. You're number one. <laughs> 
You're number one. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, man. You're number one, bro. So we're going to close with a couple more questions, man. And then we're going to get out of here. A couple more. What is the one thing that should be on people's radar that may not be on their radar for the real estate industry? Uh, you mean go forward now? Yeah. Like today, like, hey, this is coming or, hey, this is a tool or some, what's something that's not on people's radar that makes I'll, I'll tell you what I think that everyone should be doing and they're not really doing effectively is they need to be building their personal brand. I don't really see them doing that effectively. Mm. A, a, a dance on TikTok is not building a personal <laughs> brand unless, you, unless your brand is to be a clown. Correct. You need to be a competent person that people believe can take them to the promised land. Build your personal brand in real estate. It'll be the best thing that you ever did. I know people talk about it, but I do really don't see people doing it in an effective manner. I love it. So if someone, because I've had people ask me all the time, if I don't have the time or I don't have the skill set to do it on my own, do you hire somebody? Did you put a team in place to help you with that kind of stuff? No. So you do it all yourself? I wake up at 3.30 in the morning, bro. Man, I love it. Down by 10, up at 3.30 and I'm rocking. And, and then I roll all day. And there is it. enough time in a day if you don't waste your time and you get after it. Yeah, man. Well, that's what I said about TikTok. I refuse to get on TikTok. I still, I'm still fighting a good fight. But um, yeah, me, me too. I'm not on it either. And I, I sh- like, I'm like a hypocrite here. I'm not on it, but I am on Instagram yep. and I am on uh, YouTube. Yeah, me too. I just don't want to do all the dancing and stuff. I'm like, am I selling real oh. estate or developing and buying multifamily? Am I dancing? My Michael Jackson or what? What are we doing here? So yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I'm with you, <laughs> Yeah, we got the same thought process. All right. So what's the secret to good time management for you? I break my day into 15 minute blocks. I've been doing that for a long time. Time blocking. I'm always talking about it. Oh, really? I, I do. I, I literally just did a whole training session on time blocking. Literally. Yeah, that's it, man. Listen, if it don't fit in a 15 minute block, somebody else has got to handle this thing. O- otherwise, maybe it is a meeting that has to take up three or four 15 minute blocks. Yep. But I'm trying to get it done in a block. There it is. There it is. Anything you need to tell me, you can tell me and get done in 15 minutes. I don't need 30, 40 minutes on a call, bro. There you go. And what's the secret to good branding, which I think you already hit? Secret to good branding? Yep. I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would I would imagine, man, just being out there and upholding excellence. If that Everybody's brand should be, in my opinion, brother, everybody's brand should be a brand of excellence. There it is. Of competency, a serious-mindedness, especially when it comes to real estate, as a person who won't let you down, that should be your brand. Uphold that. Be emblematic of it. Wow. Don't fake the funk. Man. Literally, my core values to my brand is epic, E-P-I-G-H, and the E is excellence. And you just said that as your first word. So um, I'm telling you, bro, we got a lot in common, man. All right. So last couple of questions. So we all, everybody has a moonshot. That means, man, we're shooting to the moon with this. This is a dream, a goal, or a vision. So what's your one dream or goal or vision that people think is impossible, but for you, you feel it's going to be possible? What's that moonshot? That's a great question. Yeah. I'll tell you, thinking about that right now. Probably not dreaming. I'm not dreaming large enough. Mm. Nobody, nobody in my life tells me I'm I'm crazy. Mm. Uh, maybe it's because I got a, just a history of a track record of, uh, of getting a job done. Yep. But yeah, man, I, I don't have one. I mean, I really love my organization ALP that I put together. Yeah. And growing that, maybe even you know worldwide. But that's an awesome question. I learned from you today, bro. Yeah. I need to dream. Yeah. And I'll, I I don't have one. That might have been why God put us on this podcast, bro. For me to. For me to challenge you in that area because you you're special, bro. I want you to know that. Here's the thing. Obviously, I've been traveling through sports, but I've met a lot of real estate professionals, a lot of developers, high net worth individuals, family offices. Man, you have it, brother. You got something special, man. I want to remind you of that. Thank uh, you, yeah, you, you're different, bro. 
And then, so you recommended a book, The Art of the Cell. Why did you recommend that book and what has it done for you? I recommended it because I wrote it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> get, get that plug, bro. Get that plug real quick. Where can we get the book and tell us about it? Okay. Well, I'll tell you right now, you can't get the book unless you come to my organization and you get coaching with me. There it is. That book is not for sale, man. That thing is like uh, high octane. I need to walk you through that. Mm. It's, it's a set, It has been all the lessons that I've learned and gleaned over my years of business. And it was, uh, it was a great time during COVID to sit down and really get it all on paper. Uh, or I should say word processor. And that's exactly what I did. And it's, it's, a, it's everything from, it's all of my core beliefs and philosophies about how to be an example in an industry, how to be excellent, how to commit to being great, and then take a person you never met before and turn them into a customer. There it is. So final thoughts, bro. What do you want to leave our audience with on the final thoughts? And then where can people find you? Okay. Well, I'll tell you, you know, I, I, I probably would answer that differently if you didn't ask me that moonshot question. Because I got to tell you, dude, in my life, I always got all the answers with everybody. And I don't have the answer to that question. That's it. You, you put me on my back foot. So I, if I was going to leave the audience with something, I'd say, listen, man, we all need to be dreaming bigger. Mm-hmm. But I think that's probably my biggest regret is I didn't go bigger. And for many guys, they say hey, a billion dollars, two and a half billion in production is pretty big. Well, imagine how much I left on the table, man. Yeah. So, uh, so I would say that to everybody. I think that I, I need to uh, take, a, take a piece of my own medicine. Yep. And if you want to find me, I'm at, I'm Real Marshall Wilkinson on Instagram and I'm uh, Real Marshall Wilkinson on YouTube. Love it, bro. Hey, man, thanks for your time. Great wisdom. We will connect again. Our paths will cross. We got too much in common. We're both doing, you know, billion dollar stuff. And so I say yeah. no matter who you are, whatever industry you're in, if you do a billion in anything, you've done something special, bro. So congrats yeah. to that. And uh, let's stay in touch. I appreciate you, brother. Absolutely. Pleasure uh, being here. All right. Talk to you soon. Talk to you. All right. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of The Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. Please subscribe on whichever platform you are listening and consider leaving a five-star review as that will help us gain traction and continue to bring you knowledge in the real estate industry. For more content, head over to TerrenceMurphy.com.